We'll be in Genesis chapter 3. Really like to focus this morning on verse 21, but in order to receive it in the proper context, we'll read the entire chapter. Verse 1 reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we could be found in the house that you've prepared amongst the people whom you have brought to life, Lord. We're thankful that we can be 
in your presence and that we may come to you boldly and proudly in prayer, yet also humbly, Lord, because we need your forgiveness. God, we need the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And our prayer this morning is that as we read the text, specifically verse 21, God, help us to see your Son, Christ, who was once veiled in the Old Testament Scriptures, but now through the testimony, through the ministry of Christ that continues to today, Lord, we may see Him We may see Him, we pray, in a way that we've never seen Him before, Lord. And we just pray that we find ourselves at the foot of the cross today, seeking Your forgiveness, seeking the righteousness of Your Son, seeking Your mercy and Your grace. God, we pray for these things in the name of Your precious Son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said I wanted to start with verse 21 because verse 21 is monumental in really summarizing what has happened in chapter 3 of Genesis not only does it summarize what has happened in chapter 3 of Genesis but it really foreshadows and foretells of what happens through the redemption of Christ throughout the entire Bible throughout all of the scriptures after both Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit verse 7 tells us that their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. Now this isn't to say that they were physically blind before. This is not at all what it's saying. As you've heard me say before, each passage of Scripture has both a physical, temporal, immediate meaning and interpretation, but also there's that which is eternal, that which is spiritual, the implications that are of Jesus Christ Himself. And this passage is in fact no different. In any case, the blindness of the man and woman could not have been simply physical. After all, Genesis chapter 2 reveals to us that the animals, the beasts, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, they had all been created, and then they had been brought before Adam so that he could name them. So surely Adam had vision. He wasn't physically blinded. So the text is immediately true. It's literal in that the fact that Adam could see It doesn't mean that he was blinded. So we can't take that particular portion literally. He wasn't physically blinded. He certainly could see. Furthermore, if a fallen man such as myself or such as yourselves or a fallen woman, if you can see through the wondrous creation that is the eyeball, then we can certainly verify that Adam, as he's created perfect, then surely he could see through his eyeball. So we're looking now to what is spiritual in Genesis chapter 3 because we know that he literally was not blind. So what we have here is an allegory or an analogy. There are typically three perspectives considering biblical text and scripture uh, and the presence of allegories therein. The first position will be the person that says that the creation in Adam and Eve are strictly allegorical and that Adam is only a story to convey the state of natural man as depraved. There literally are people who profess to be Christians and don't believe that Adam was actually a man or Eve was actually a woman. They think that this is a likeness or a picture in order to depict mankind or they simply want to view 
at them in a way that really won't hold water according to what we feel about Scripture and what we know of Scripture that it is true that there was a man created from the dust. His name was Adam. God breathed life into his nostrils. And from him thus he brought forth woman. And so we see that this particular view won't stand up against the rigorous test of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. If Adam is not real, then neither is Eve. If Eve is not real, neither is sin. If sin is not real, neither is death. If death is not real, then neither is God, neither is Christ. We certainly know that all of these things exist. And to further my point, if you have not a truly existing first Adam, then you can't have a second Adam. You can't have a Messiah. You can't have a Son of God. You can't have a Jesus Christ. You can't have one who would ransom you by his shed blood on the cross. This is heresy. At the very least, it's apostasy. Well, then you have a second perspective. You have a perspective that says the Bible is only literal. That there's no figurative language. There's no allegory. There's no likening. There's no analogies. It's all literal in its interpretation. All means all. Some means some, none means none. This presents a whole heap of misunderstandings because we might now find ourselves in John one chapter, uh, John chapter one verse forty-seven, thinking that two perfect Jews exist, as Christ meets Nathaniel and he says, "Here's a man in whom there is no guile." If we take it literally, that that's what he meant, then we think that he's speaking of a perfect man, and certainly. We know we've been around long enough. You have kids, you have neighbors, you have spouses. There's no perfect man. Save one Jesus Christ. If you follow this line of thinking, you might also say, what about Noah or Job? The Bible says that they were perfect. They were righteous. But if you take it extremely literal, then you have an issue. What about as Noah is drunken? What about as Job curses? What about as complaining? What about as worrying? Isn't that contradictory to what the Scripture tells us that we should do and, be, and how we should behave as Christians? What about Moses or Abraham? These are men who the Bible says is righteous. If we take that extremely literal, then we're saying that they're perfect. Newsflash, murderers idolaters, sinners, all of these men. Well, then you have the third perspective, the, the perspective that I encourage each of you to take, and it's recognizing and distinguishing allegory in conversation as we do today. Recognizing that there is both the literal interpretation of what someone says and then the figurative. If someone says Man, I worked all day today. We know that they didn't mean that they worked from the time the sun came up to the sun came down. Or an entire 24-hour period. Or if they said everybody in that place was crazy. We don't understand it to mean literally everyone's crazy. But we take this perspective, recognizing and distinguishing like we do through our everyday lives, that in the text and in conversation... 
there does exist some things that are allegorical in nature. And there is a difference between the literal and the analogical. The text says that their eyes, as they had eaten of the fruit, were opened. They were now aware that they had partaken in evil. That's what it means, as their eyes are open. They're now aware that they had partaken of something that was evil. They were disobedient. They had been duped by Satan and ultimately deceived. Their lives were taken away in one instant. Not only had death been given its subject in the body and life of Adam and Eve, but it also takes their innocence, the honor, the glory of God, as in so much as Adam was an image bearer of God. Man, an image bearer of God. The glory that exists in that, being stripped as his eyes are open and he's made aware of sin and he's partaking of sin. Being before this found pure and righteous, comprehending not sin because it had not yet entered the world and he comprehended because he didn't understand sin then he had not to comprehend darkness nor death. These things didn't exist before then. Now the two are destitute. They're shamed. And the text tells us that they're naked. I find it quite remarkable that as death comes, it comes to life, so to speak. Death comes to life in Genesis chapter 3. And that blind eyes now come to see as a result of death coming to life. Not only does this newfound sight reveal the displeasure of God revealed in subsequent verses, as well as their understanding of the loss of blessing, the loss of privileges, the loss of communion as He hid from God, as it brings about destruction, but the opened eyes are a wonderful foreshadow of the gospel and how perfect, alive, blind man Adam, because of his sin becomes sinful, dead, seeing man. Think about that. Perfect, alive, blind man through his sin becoming sinful, dead, seeing man. The man Adam before his sin we may think of as blind and then after his eyes are open because now he needs to see. Eyes are important. Eyes work sort of like this. This is uh, an explanation of how eyes work. The cornea bends or reflects rays that pass through the round holes of the pupil. The iris, the colored portion of the eye that surrounds the pupil, opens and closes, making it bigger or smaller. This regulates the light passing through. The light rays then pass through the lens, which changes shape so it can further bend the rays and focus them on the retina. The retina sits in the back of the eye and there's a thin layer of tissue that contains millions of tiny light-sensing nerve cells. The light rays then pass through the lens which changes the shape so it can further bend the rays and focus them on the retina. The retina then sits at the back of the eye. It's a thin layer again of tissue that contains these million cells, nerve cells. They're called rods and cones because of their shape. And as it goes on and on, they provide peripheral or side vision. They allow the eyes to detect motion and dim light because they've changed and transformed the light into electrical impulses that allow the brain to see and 
create an image. Now think of this. It allows us to see that which is representative of light, right? That's what the eye does. It's changing light and giving us an image. So spiritually speaking, when we see that their eyes are open, we see that God is making their eyes and thus our eyes as believers in Christ now open, but open for a purpose. Why Adam didn't have to have spiritually opened eyes because there was no sin in the world. There was only righteousness to be known. There was only perfectness to be known. But now we, like Adam, must have our eyes open. Why? So that we can see the light. So that light can transform into an image. That's the image of Jesus Christ. That light is Jesus Christ. John tells us that. The light of the world. We need to take the gospel light of Jesus Christ in through our eyes, into our hearts, spiritually, so that we may be converted to newness of life. That we may be converted to an image that is the exact image of Jesus Christ Himself. That's what the bride of Christ represents. He opens the eyes because that's the only way for us to become positionally righteous after the fall. We need to understand the light. We need to see the light, which is Christ. As fallen man, we need our eyes open. We need that Jesus Christ that in John chapter 14, verse 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come through the Father except through He. We need to see that. Our eyes need to be spiritually opened. So in one sense, there's the curse that is to come through sin, but there is that grace of God that our eyes may be opened that we may perceive light and see the image of Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. We're just getting started. And he got to verse 21 yet. As Adam and Eve find themselves naked, they decide to sow fig leaves to cover themselves. Why? Because Adam walked with God. This was something that happened on the regular basis. I told the Smiths last night, it's interesting that women weren't the first to sow. Adam was right there. It's not just for women. Adam was there and said they sowed together. Adam knew that at any time he would be in the presence of God and God would surely see him naked and he would be shamed. He had never been before God clothed before. Not physically. He had never been shamed before. But Adam was afraid. Eve was afraid. They were fearful of God and now they found themselves in sin. Now keep in mind when I speak of Adam this morning, speaking of every one of us, speaking of me, speaking of you, without Christ, you're naked before God. You're shamed. The sad truth is that some people don't even know it. Some people are prideful about their shame. Some people, unlike Adam, as he goes to sow fig leaves and Eve to sow the fig leaves to cover themselves, some people are proud and lewd. They don't even want a covering because they don't understand who God is. We have to be reminded of the wrath of God. We have to be reminded of the wages of sin. That there's only death and destruction. So they're naked. They're ashamed. They're hiding from God. Adam's not waiting for his wife to sow him some fig leaves. 
He ain't waiting. God is coming and he needs to be prepared. But what he doesn't know is he can never make himself prepared. It says that they labor together to sow to, uh, the fig leaves together. And the, though the leaves wouldn't cover the entire body, instead they would just cover the private areas that we to this day wish to remain unseen to the public. This may cause you, as it did me, to wonder why did they just cover those particular parts? I think it's in God's providence that they covered these parts because they were shameful. Why were they shameful? Because Eve would be the mother to all the living that life would come forth from Adam and Eve, that they would reproduce and children would come forth. It, are these, it is these parts that brings forth sinful man. And I think the covering represents the shame that although children are blessings and they certainly come from the Lord, in shame and sin they're brought forth. Babies come forth from the womb, the Bible says, speaking lies. I believe it's for this reason they cover these parts. From this moment forward, they bring sin into the world by these members, each generation. Therefore, they cover a curse and at the same time a blessing. The members that bring forth life are bringing forth a life that is unto death. And therefore, the eyes need to be, again, spiritually open as they were with Adam. The leaves also, they're not without meaning. The leaves now, because of the sin, will certainly be of a cursed vegetation. Why? Because nothing was not under the curse at this point. Everything was cursed because of what Adam and Eve had done in sinning against God and being disobedient. And so the leaves represent something. Because of sin, the whole earth suffers and groans we're told in Romans chapter 8 therefore we can conclude from that that the fig tree will also die even if it's not plucked up from the ground surely at some point it will die it won't live forever but then think about this they're plucking the leaves and the branches from the tree and now even sooner as the two separate these branches and leaves from their life source the tree the vine they too will begin to decay. They'll begin to die. Just like you and I as our sin separates us from that true vine which is Jesus Christ. This is literal in its interpretation that yes, they sowed fig leaves together, but figuratively and illogically, it means something else. It tells us of our separation from God through our sin. How we'll wither and die without something else, without some other life source, without some other covering, as we'll come to see. This shame will continue. As we think about the fig leaves, we see that they're sown together because the men and the woman have been disobedient. Mankind has been eternally severed from God, just as the leaves and the branches are severed from the fig tree unreconcilable by our own means are we now before God yet what does Adam do he tries to cover himself we shrink and we grow weak each day that we're apart from Christ and then literally in this body each day we're dying 
just like the fig, just like the leaves, just like the branches that Adam and Eve take to cover themselves. They won't cover forever. They won't last forever. They'll wilt. You guys have had roses on your table. You've had flowers. Some of you probably had gardens. Same thing happens. They wither. The leaves don't cover as much. They don't look as beautiful as they did before. They don't serve the purpose that they once did. And such are the leaves that Adam and Eve choose to cover themselves with. We think that somehow we can develop our own covering and it's just not true. We think that somehow we have our own righteousness before God. We think that somehow we can do something good. Though though we've sinned against a just and holy God, we think that we can bring forth out of these sinful bodies something that will cover us, something that will suffice. It doesn't even really make sense, does it? Out of this corrupt flesh, somehow we can make something that covers covers up corruption. It's quite amazing. Adam and Eve felt this way. And the truth is that unregenerate man feels the same way. He feels like he can cover himself. Feel like, I'm good. I don't need somebody else. I don't need anything else. I've got my own righteousness. I've got my own covering. In essence, they're trying to medicate eternal sickness with a temporal cure that has never extended the longevity of the soul. Self-righteousness has never extended the longevity of your life. It will never bring forth eternal life. This is what Adam and Eve must learn. And this is what God presents to us as He veils the mysteries of Christ in the Old Testament of Genesis. Our own efforts have only ever magnified the distance between man and God. Have only ever magnified the distance that reconciliation must cover. So as we make it to the focus of our study, verse 21, we see that the Lord God makes for the two coats of skins given as a covering to clothe and protect. Again, this is a literal clothing with a physical yet spiritual implication of the covering that we have in Christ. An eternal covering. The coats of skins cover... But they speak allegorically of the covering that we will have in the finished work of Christ displayed on the cross as He shed His blood for the remission of sin. Some here say that this is the first sacrifice. And then on the other hand, you'll have people say, well, we don't know for sure if the animals were sacrificed. But what I will say is this. I will say that God knows everything. God prepares everything. Certainly, He raised up these beasts Because he knew that Adam and Eve would need a covering. They would need something to cover their shame and wickedness. They would need something that would make them presentable before God. So take it how you will. Is it a sacrifice? Read the text. The other part of this is that as they disagree, then they come to understand that now... Man needs a covering that is created by God. Certainly Adam needed this covering created by God. But the truth is that we will receive a covering that is greater than that. Our covering isn't created by God because Jesus Christ isn't created. He's eternal. He is God. Our covering is much better than what Adam had. 
Our covering is not much better, but it's the best. No matter what we do, we can't cover ourselves. We need Christ. Our selfish, self-centered coverings will hide no guilt. They'll hide no shame. They'll hide no iniquity. Nothing is hidden from God. When God called out, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he didn't know. He was waiting for Adam to respond. But guess what? Proverbs 16 says, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. He already knew that Adam would respond. Not only did he know, but he gave Adam that response. Who told you you were naked? God was controlling what would happen next. There was no circumstance or event that was hidden from God. Certainly he knew these things. That's why he created what he did. That's why the beasts were available. That skins were made because God was prepared for man to fall. Jesus Christ was already prepared to go to the cross. It's not a plan B. It's not a failed mission on behalf of God, but he was prepared. An animal had been taken here so that man could be simply covered. This relays a truth that certainly us in America need to hear today. The life of man is infinitely more precious than the life of a beast. I mean, that's just a little side note of what's going on here. We need to be real about this. God took the beast to temporarily cover man. Temporarily. It wasn't worth as much as the life of man. And I'll tell you today, there's nothing in the world worth losing your spiritual man. Fear not the one who can destroy the body, but the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, the Bible tells us. It's a reality. This relays a truth that we must reconcile to our minds. God has declared it so in sacrificing these animals to give a covering of skin to man and woman that man is more precious. And that despite their sinfulness, God is willing to cleanse and He's willing to cover. They're an image bearer of God. The Lord has done with Adam and Eve what He's still doing today. He's working in them. He's working for them. He's working for us. You won't see this many times in a Baptist church, but I'm going to show you a miracle this morning. Look to your left and your right. See your neighbor who was dead in sin and trespasses and brought alive by the finished work of Christ on the cross. You can't get that anywhere else. You want to see a miracle? Turn to your own self. Look in the mirror. If you call yourself a Christian, if you know that you've been changed by the life of Christ, by the death of Christ, by the resurrection and ascension of Christ, there's a miracle enough. You see, the skins represented something to Adam and Eve that were superior to the leaves. They would last longer, they would wear better, they would cover more area and just plain outperform the quick withering leaves of the fig tree. But the truth remains that the skins were just a veiled mystery of the Savior. The skins would last much longer than leaves, but they would eventually need replacing. And as man and women repopulate and procreate, another skin is needed. And another and another and every time a garment is torn and it can't be repaired 
Every time another child is born, there must be another animal, another skin, another sacrifice. This laid the groundwork for those later to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that was to come. The Lamb who was slain to cover man. The clothing that He Himself would be representing perfect righteousness for mankind. Jesus doesn't need to die over and over like an animal to cover men. In the truest sense, unlike many beasts, Jesus would come until this day He still represents a clothing that we all need, the only clothing that will ever truly cover, and to the most real and expressed intent meaning of this phrase, Jesus represents He died truly once and for all. Jesus Christ died once and for all. Paul makes it very clear in the epistles. Jesus doesn't need to be re-crucified. Yet some of us live as if we're, if we're re-crucifying Christ every day. Some miss the point in Genesis chapter 3. Why? Because they missed the Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3. And how He's far superior to the skins. Much more so even to the fig leaves. You might notice that God creates these coverings. And like I said to you earlier, the covering that is Jesus Christ is not God created, but He is God eternal. Before there, there was no God formed before Him, nor shall there after. There's not another God known. God knows not one other God, save Himself. Represented in the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our lamb. He's our covering. He's our skin. He's far superior. We don't need a created covering, but we need a creator covering. Spiritual covering we have in Christ isn't made, but He exists eternally. Isaiah chapter 28 says this, beginning with verse 15, Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Now keep in mind the context is those of Israel, those in Jerusalem. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth will not make haste. It goes on, verse 18, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. Verse 20 says this, For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in. Now certainly as this spoke of the people of Jerusalem trying to make alliances trying to defend themselves, we see that there's no covering that's sufficient. Save the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And then as we look to the Bible and do a word study on clothing, we'll see verses like this. Job 29. This is the clothing that is represented in Genesis 3 that foreshadows the, the clothing that we have being the righteousness of Christ, being Christ Himself. It says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and turban. 
Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness like a breastplate and the helmet of salvation of his head. And he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. Isaiah 11, also righteousness will be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Psalm 132, let your priest be clothed with righteousness and your godly ones sing for joy. But when the perishable, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, 15, 54, but when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come up about saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This is the truth of the skin covering represented in Genesis chapter 3. It's not just a story about an animal dying because that wouldn't make much sense. We really wouldn't need to know what kind of clothes Adam and Eve would wear after the fall unless they tell us about Jesus Christ. Unless they tell us about the nature of our own selves. How we exist in sin and corruption. How we love sin. How we love the world. How we love to disobey God. And then at the precise moment when we found out He's coming, we want to run and cover ourselves with something man-made. We want to run and cover ourselves with with some false righteousness, some false sense of hope, some false sense of purity that comes from something that's unpure. Genesis chapter 3 is talking about you. If you don't know Christ, this is a message for you. And if you do know Christ, it's a wonderful celebration of the covering that we have in Jesus Christ. We need to be covered. We don't need skins. We don't need fig leaves. We need Jesus Christ. We need the robe that is dipped in blood. The robe that is stained with blood yet as white as snow. So I'll leave you with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For indeed in this house we groan, longing, to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. It's not speaking of something that is intangible, that is inanimate. It's talking about Jesus. It goes on to say, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Let's go to the Lord. Father, once again, as we have the privilege to come before You, God, we thank You. We have a clothing that is immortal, eternal, righteous, holy, perfect. It fits just right, God. It covers everything wicked about us. God, we thank You that Your Son is the Lamb of God. 
that he is the Holy One. He is the Righteous One. God, that he is all sufficient to cover every sin in our life, past, present, and future. And Lord, we don't need him to die every day, but he died once and for all for every sin 2,000 years ago upon Calvary's cross, every sin yet future. God, bring us to conviction about our sin. Bring us as your people, as your sheep, to the same place that you bought the church at Corinth this morning, Sunday school, as we read. Lord, that we would be grieved over sin. Every one of us has it, Lord. And we think that we're good enough somehow to cover ourselves. But God, can we please be found, be made, Lord, to be at the foot of the cross. Not just today, not just right now, but as we leave from here, Lord, cause each and every one of us to see how dirty and sinful we are, how lewd, how disgusting. Lord, let us see that we have a covering available. And His name is Jesus Christ. And if we'll believe on Him, God, if we'll just believe in your Son, cast off the desires of the flesh, you are faithful, Lord, to bring us to redemption. You reconcile us to yourself through your perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we please see him this morning as we study the Scriptures. Lord, would you cause us to see him in every walk of life, in every aspect, in every word, thought, and deed. Lord, please help us to see your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.